Hiya, welcome to Zero Ambitions. This week we're with Tanya Jennings, Principal Domestic Energy Officer at Ealing Council. It's quite a long and rambling one, so we've had to break it into two. I think it wound up being an hour and a half. We don't want to overface anyone. So, I'll just crack on. It's me, Dan, Alex and Sarah, with Tanya. Jeff was on holiday. Duncan was otherwise engaged. Yeah, enjoy. There'll be another part on Thursday. Cheers. Um, is Jeff joining us or is he under the cosh with the no. Jeff's on holiday? Yeah, he's on holiday. Uh, so uh yeah, he sends his apologies, Tanya. He he's properly disappointed to be here. Uh no, not to be here, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, he's at Centre Park. Very beautiful. <laughs> uh he sent me some photos of the place the other day with reference to the fact that there are no cars there. And how how delightful that is being in a place with no cars. He does love yeah. those no car stories. Oh man, I can so, get with that though. They are such an intrusive aspect. If you don't have a car and you don't use them, you do forget immediately about priorities for for that because we were just talking about best fest and all the logistics for stuff, and then people are talking about okay, so we'll run a shuttle bus from the train to the campus, and and that's fine. We'll do that, and then they were like, right, parking, and I was like, parking? What? Who drives? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's different. I'm so I'm just not you. I'm so used to being a pedestrian now. Um, I think the Americans just right out of me. You know, I, I used to drive for two or three hours a day and not think of anything. And now I'm like, a 10 minute drive, come on. <laughs> just uh, not, yeah. not for me. I'm, I'm going to be in a few years, I'm moving back to France because uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, over there, at least where, where I come from, you have to have a car for anything. So literally, where's our life at the moment? No car. We can walk about five minutes, go to a pub or a meal or whatever. It's going to be all completely changed and all driven, well, literally driven. Like there, there is no way I can escape it, which I'm a bit upset in a sense because I'm going to, I'm already thinking about how annoying that's going to be. Like you can't go out for just a quick drink. You have to drive somewhere. So. Yeah. Um, we have potentially got the widest selection of topics that we could possibly talk about, given Tanya, your experience in things. So we kind of thought it would be interesting to talk about, obviously, the energy sprung thing, but we could also talk about the incompatibility of regulation funders and other government led bodies. And there's lots we can talk about. I will go where you lead me. So, well, is there anything, do you have any? Uh, bees in your bonnets today that uh... um, I have some feelings about these things and I think right now because we're we're at a period where we're closing down one scheme we're starting up another I'm in the middle of a metric fuck ton of bid writing and um, so trying to do reporting for the last bid and get ready for the next bid um, it's it's fatiguing mm. um, I, I, and I think one of the things we're really dealing with right now just as a sector is burnout and I think that we have to address that and and just to say we, we need more humans. I mm. think that there's something really important in what you've just identified, right? And there are two things. One I was going to say was, are there also areas that you really would rather not go into that might end up getting you in trouble? You know, we can obviously edit afterwards if you want to speak freely. And then afterwards, if you decide, you know what, actually, I can't have my that out there with my voice behind it we can do that yeah, yeah. um but the burnout bit i think is really crucial because loads of the work that dan and alex and myself do is continually around like relationship building and seeing the gaps and trying to like fill them either 
on a pro bono basis or on a commercial basis. And I've realized that a lot of that stuff is because a lot of organizations such as public sector ones have been stripped bare of the space yeah. to just talk to each other and to share knowledge and all that all that's just been stripped away down to like the very very singular like deliverables of a role that sometimes yeah. aren't even very well defined and then people are very very risk averse around stepping beyond yeah. things yeah so, I mean I don't really I don't think I've got anything I don't want to talk about I mean I I did have an interesting conversation with my boss this morning and I don't mind touching on it a bit I don't want to get fired even though I'm you know thinking things but you know I, I just kind of said to her I was like I don't know if I know what my job is anymore which feels really silly given that this job was created for me less than a year ago you know this job was created so I could do the job I had scope creeped myself into and now I already feel like I'm not sure what my job is anymore and I don't think that's unique to me so I think we can talk about that no a lot. that's I mean I, th- I think this We'll use this because I think this is a good place to start because, I mean, what you're describing sounds well familiar to Alex and I, like trying to describe to, um, trying to describe, or rather, my mom asked me once again, what is it that you do for a job? <laughs> I don't know what to tell people. So I've just reduced it to, oh, just tell them we make websites better. Uh, <laughs> and that's not what we do. We talk to people. And like that is the job. Like yeah. I'm listening, right? Yeah. Preposterously listening is my job, not just bollocking on. But um, I think this is interesting because it would be a good place to start and just say, Tanya, Tanya Jennings, welcome. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and carbon zero goals. So we are here today with Tanya Jennings. We've also got Sarah and Alex. No, Duncan. Jeff's on holiday. Tanya, yeah. Do you want to answer Sarah's question for us? Who am I? Well, oh, this is existential from the start. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm a, a displaced American. I live. I've been in London for nine years. Uh, I came here for a, a man. I was going to say a boy, but he was not a boy. He was a man. Um, so <laughs> I've, I've been here for nine years. We're off to a great start already. And my background is uh, natural resource policy and administration. I've got a master's. Um, I've got sort of half a master's in sustainable cities. Uh, I'm currently working at Ealing Council, uh, running the West London Green Homes Grant and Home Upgrade Grant, collectively known as the Sustainable Warmth Fund um, for 13 boroughs. I run Ealing's Energy Sprung project, which is part of our innovation partnership with the GLA. I'm the vice chair of Alio London. I have my fingers in a lot of pies, actually. <laughs> You're in good company. I think what we um, we were describing earlier is that I described myself somewhere as a slasher because it was uh, architect slash podcaster slash campaigner slash, and I think this plurality of roles in this sector is becoming more and more common because it's very hard to define and we keep finding other areas that need some work to fix them. And things get lumped together a lot. I, you know, I, I have a colleague at another borough who I know from Energy Sprung, we've done a lot of retrofit stuff together for the last few years. He's now responsible for their parks team because parks is part of sustainability because the environment exists no experience in parks doesn't doesn't you know he's a great administrator i'm sure he'll be fine but 
you know, there's kind of this idea that green means leaves and grass, not retrofit and insulation and solar panels. And to people who do not know necessarily what it is that we're trained in and how we got here and what our background is, it's just, you do green things, you now park. Okay. Uh, And I think that's a lot of us is that we've we've just ended up here. And I, I'm like a lot of people, I, I sometimes wonder how did I get here? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. It's a long and winding road. But it's, it's a funny one. We were, Alex and I met with Douglas from Best uh, in the week. And uh, one of the things we were talking about how, particularly with regard to the retrofit space rather than the broader low carbon, generalism is an asset. Because like, it helps. So we feel a lot of sympathy for the sector coming from a UX background because understanding the broader picture and knowing how to draw in the expertise, the depth of knowledge, like having your own bits of specialism, but mean knowing how to draw people in, like the paradigm's broadly the same. And then we had a conversation with Robbie from DRES. So he's the head of sustainability, I think, or sustainability manager. I can't remember which. He's coming on next week. And he has an engineering, mechanical engineering background, I think. And he's gone from that, from job to job, broadening his experience to this point of great generalism where he is able to drill down into the things if he needs to, but he doesn't need to because he knows how to draw the right people in. And it is that sort of skill set that's required. But people get keep being forced into these holes where, right, trees are sustainable, so you're in parks, love. Yeah. And I guess the challenge for us is that I want to be a knower of all things. You know, I want to be Jill of all trades, but there comes a point where you have to say, this is my line and I can go no further. Um, You know, even things like the retrofit assessor trainings, you know, the great stuff that retrofit Academy is doing. Envy them. Grateful they are there took about three minutes to think, do I want to do a retrofit assessor course? And then I said, fuck, no, I don't. Like, you know, I, I've got 10 years of grad school behind me already. I'm done with the book learning. And, mm. and it's, it is being confident, I guess, enough to say, I don't know that. And actually, I don't need to know that because there's loads of people out there who are taking those courses. And then I can hire them, you know, either as a consultant or trying to build up our own resources within our borough and just London in general. But there does come a point where you have to say, I need to stay in my lane rather than keep trying to understand every level of every PAS 2035 requirement (laughs) and every U value. And I don't need to know that. I just need to know where to go to get that information. This is... um it's so interesting because um, we're also like a lot of us are doing this sort of upskilling moment of trying to become more aware of the skills needed in retrofit and the importance of each of these stages. And actually the best way sometimes to do that is to get your hands dirty and to also build kind of credibility and discussions to really understand what the component parts are. But <clears throat> that's really only in a kind of a fact finding and understanding mission really, because we need so many people to become all of these um, skills. We have a massive skills shortage. We have a gap, but we know what the skills are. A lot of it, we know a lot of what those skills are. And there's always this conversation around, well, what drives which part of, you know, does the market drive, 
you know, the need for these skills. And then therefore we just have to wait for the market to lead. And that's obviously not happening. And then is it like the government needs to come in and, and do their bit? Well, they're obviously not going to do anything about it. I mean, if you've been watching the news at all, you'll know that we're totally on our own here <laughs> without any kind of driving from central government. Even Ofgem are wading in now saying, okay, like we need to tell people some basic bits about like how to be mindful of their energy consumption. Um, so how, what are you seeing from your side as somebody trying to procure these services? What are you seeing as blocks to pulling through more people in these in these roles um i think the fatigue is real the struggle is real so many of us have huge programs i you know i'm running 45 million pounds worth of grants right now i'm getting ready to put in two more obscenely large grants and you know my my boss this morning was sort of asking me why? Like, what's the benefit to us? You know, you're already telling me you're too exhausted and that the reason we're bidding for these things is because there's no one out there to do it. But if there's no one out there to do it, why are we bidding? And are we just becoming part of the problem? Um, Because we're all chasing the same resources. And, you know, it's, it's the need for more people to come into the sector, but also for us to be honest and open enough to say, we really need you and it's going to suck. Like it's going to be hard work. You are going to spend a lot of days wanting to throw your computer against a wall. And you're going to spend a lot of days just saying, why am I doing this to myself? Like I am burning the candle at both ends, but then you're also going to have days like I had not too long ago where a sweet little Irish lady that we had helped through one of our programs brought me an orchid in my office. And she just says, I've got the smartest house on the block, thanks to you. Uh, and away she went. And we get to see those stories. So if you're someone who is motivated by that warm, tingly feeling, I could give you that warm, tingly feeling in a not creepy way all day long. <laughs> you know, just we we do have these good news stories that just keep coming. You know, we've, I, I was speaking a little bit with uh, Jeff about this a while ago, that we had a family, they were literally living in the top half of their house. They had mm. started a renovation in the bottom. They'd torn up the floors, literally dirt and wood exposed, and she lost her job. Mm. And so they just moved into the top floor of their flat or mm. their house and no running water, no kitchen, everything stripped, no floor. The only water was coming from a neighbor's pipe hose through the window, boiling it on a hot plate. For five years, they've been living like this. They heard about Green Homes Grant. They felt open enough to finally come and ask for some help. We gave them underfloor insulation. They didn't have a floor. We had to give them a floor too, but we gave them that. We, we worked with groundwork to get them some white goods. We gave them a working kitchen, functioning electrics. And for the first time in five years, this household could actually use all of their house. Right. And this is what this is about. And this is the bit that sometimes is lacking. This is about people having appropriate and acceptable housing as the very minimum yeah, it's, and it's a place that is comfortable basic. and safe. Like, <laughs> 
that it is about that. Like this is, yeah. you only have to follow the work of Kwejo Twanaboa, who we all, we talk about quite a lot on this podcast, who is exposing the conditions that so many people are living in and so many more are going to be in similar situations. Really bad at like, you know, we have, we know these stats. We have the worst performing housing stock in Europe and beyond, whatever that is. And it's old and it's leaky and we just sometimes feel like that we don't know what we're doing with it. And yet there's this huge goodwill across the sector, whether you are involved in user experience, whether you are in a local authority as yourself, whether you are in a campaign space, all of us are really desperately trying to work together to champion the good work of, of contractors who are out there doing good things, of other organisations, of grassroots, of whatever. And it feels sluggish and it feels hard because we're actually in like we're at loggerheads with what feels like what's coming from central government like where's the support throw the lifelines to people because there's so much good work out there and it just feels it feels so perverse frankly that we're in this situation and lonely and it's hard you know I mean I've We'll talk about this a bit later, but I've just come back from a trip to the Netherlands to see energy sprung houses there. We went on a group of about 20 people, and these are 20 people I know really well, solution providers and other local authorities and some people from GLA and uh, Octopus Energy and lots of people who are all interested in this model and we're coming together. And the one thing that we all just kept coming back to, it's just so lonely. Even when you're in a group of people, you feel like we're all doing the same things in different areas. but it's usually kind of one, maybe charismatic leader is the way to put it. Um, you know, it's one charismatic leader leading all of these things, mm-hmm. or it's just one faithful drudge who just keeps things plugging away, keeping the wheels turning. And that that need to bring more people in, to have more support, at all levels. And I, and I think this is a piece that I really want to get across. You know, yes, I have a background in grad school. I, I did economics out of spite. Um, I just <laughs> needed to prove to myself I could do it. So I got an economics degree, as you do. Um, we need people with higher education, but we also need charity muggers. Um, you know, we just need people who are not afraid to knock on the door, talk to people about energy efficiency and getting off gas and, you know, all these different things that we really need. And then we need everything in between. You know, we need an army of super secretaries to do the fracking invoices for me. So I don't spend half of my day approving invoices and raising POs. And, you know, there's, there's this real culture right now, maybe because of austerity, maybe just because people don't value the super secretary, um, having been one, I value them. <laughs> you know, mm. that, that was a former life. I mean, I, I appreciate the need for just admin and, yeah. and that support and trying to bring in people who have climate anxiety and just the people who give a damn, mm. you know, and, and it's, it's hard for me, you know, I've just had a birthday and 50s getting close in the window and I don't want to just be like a chino full of rats as uh Jeff would call it you know kind of showing up at the high school hey fellow kids come with me I I don't know if I know how to talk to young people in a way that they understand to like take that climate anxiety and make a career out of it because there's so many different pieces here that we need but without 
and I, and I'm saying young people, it doesn't have to be young people. I don't care if you're 60, 70, you know, if you still want to work and you have the desire to come in and make a change, we need that. We need that as much. So I, I think that there's a huge avenue for bringing new people into the sector who have a variety of different skills, but trying to identify what those skills are and how you get here. That's its own piece of work. Yeah. I think this is just a point to like reflect on. Um, I don't know if you were aware of the retrofit reimagined festival that happened during the summer that was um, hosted by Civic Square. Big shout out to the work that Civic Square do and Dark Matter Labs and all of which were born out of Architecture Zero Zero. Um, but one of the um, quotes that people will be familiar with, you know, doing the rounds in this space is that it's the role of the artist to make the revolution irresistible or something like along those lines. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's no good to just go, oh yeah, come on, will you come over here and become like an external wall installer? It's a great job. Or, you know, come in here and administer this great big, you know, bid. It's almost like, it's got to be like reimagined as like non-individual technocratic responses to a building physics problem much broader than that it's potentially got the ability to be much more exciting for that than that and that's really really difficult because it's very hard and I know there are people working um trying to engage with say people who do hold the purse strings so engaging with funders to say look you need to stop adding so many criteria to the pockets of money that are there and give it to the people who are trying to do the good work give it to the people who are trying to administer these groups you know it's that's hard any volunteer group who establishes themselves will realize about 12 months in that they desperately desperately need somebody to run the admin bit you know even us on the podcast (laughs) we're struggling you know, just to get that admin bit because it's so key. It keeps everything floating. But we have to make that, uh, you know, enticing as a role. It's got to be valued. And we're always talking about this cost value argument all the time. It's got to be, we've got to elevate it. It's got to be a bigger part of our lives. And that's quite a difficult place to to go. But it, it's... um. I mean, it's boring, isn't it? Well, it's boring if you don't reimagine it. It is a bit dull. Like the stuff that we talk about is dull. But if but you like, start to talk about what people's future could look like and what how you reimagine a role within external wall installation as some kind of climate hero, like if you really expand. Yeah, it, it's the reframing. But you can't make admin sexy. No, but you can value it more. But you <laughs> but, can value it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's a different thing. Like the, the reimagined bit, like... The problem we've got here, and again, this is a conversation we've had quite a few times recently, is that there's no status in any of this stuff. And you can only acquire status in this country in particular through money. Mm. <laughs> That's the only way it works. Which is why the reimagining bit of all of it matches. Like we have to put, as we've said before, and Robin McAlpine's episode and many others as well, we have to create a much more enticing alternative but, so, I mean, so what is the imagination? What enticing? I think we, it'd be really interesting to actually have some ideas, like throw some ideas out. I mean, what what would be enticing? What should we be saying to people? Because it's in a sense, it's quite easy to say, well, you know, it's it's not enticing enough. And and again, I think Sarah, you've been doing a lot of work in this, obviously, with everything that you're you're working on. But what should we be talking about? Because, like for example, when we're saying this, I'm thinking, well, why are 
why is a lawyer for sort of becoming a lawyer why is that so enticing and i think dan you probably hit it on the on the head there is uh, is the money but there's something glamorous about it so what are the glamorous bits of this industry that we should be talking about and, and pushing forward um more secretaries that dress like joan from mad men <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. i'm just throwing that out there um but, you know i i think it, it it's a as sarah said the value matters you know, mm-hmm. in another life on another continent, I was a secretary and I don't mind calling myself that. I wasn't an administrative assistant. I was a secretary. I was like picking up people's dry cleaning, you know, but I was absolutely valued. And I knew that my boss couldn't survive without me, you know, and there's kind of the longstanding joke among secretaries that, you know, my boss makes five times what I can't, can't rotate a fucking PDF. Like, come on, oh. you know, and and I think that right now we've almost gone too far the other way. All of us can rotate a PDF. We don't need a secretary for that piece of it. We don't need admin support for that. We need admin support because the reporting requirements are so intense that asking one person to be the person looking at the spreadsheet, doing the math, raising the invoices, raising the POs, and planning a strategic program of how you reach out to suppliers and engage with supply chains and meet PAS 2035 requirements and get your contractors in the same place and put a referral program together that reaches the people that you really need to and a comms plan that lets everybody know what you're doing, the good and the bad and the end of stage reporting for one or two people, even if we're paying consultants to help with the contract management, it's just bloody exhausting. You know, I I would like to envision a world where my husband isn't knocking on the door of my office at seven saying, could, could you come down and human with me? You know, it. we need to find ways to show everybody from the grad student who's helping us to the admin, to the contract managers and the consultants to say, we can't run these programs without you. And it's it's the same thing that we're having with the supply chain. We can't do this without you. And I value you. I know you're working to the bone because I'm working to the bone. And then hopefully we can get more people in once we can show what we can do together. So speaking to being able to show what we can potentially do together, again, I'm going to plug the work of Civic Square because it isn't something that you can, I mean, I, Alex, it was quite an enticing thing to put out there to say, well, what, what would it be if we reimagined it? That takes a ton of work to pull out what that looks like because we have to get past the very drudgery in our minds of the stuff that we're faced with every day. We have to be released into a space where you can actually really reimagine stuff. Now, this was the absolute sleight of genius that was that was curated and created by CivicSquare and others um, during the summer, which was part of a three-year chunk of work that they were doing with the Donor Economics Action Lab. You mentioned economics earlier, Tanya, and if anybody um, hasn't yet read Donor Economics and the work at Kate Rayworth, then it's absolutely fundamental as a shift, as a paradigm shift yeah. to bring in the, the paradigm point that you mentioned earlier, Dan, as well. But they have spent the last three years taking the ideas of donor economics um, into communities, talking with neighbours, with businesses, with school children, with all of that, and trying to reimagine that. 
later this month, I think between Thursday the 27th and Saturday the 29th of October, they're doing something, I think it's called their like donut celebration. Hang on. It's called a neighborhood donut celebration and portrait launch. And what that is, is that's them reflecting back all this work where they looked at how are we operating within current structures and how could that be different what would be involved in that how do we reimagine that so they everybody now has the opportunity to um go and see what they've managed to achieve out of this this work and to take inspiration from that but they're not doing that as an isolated project it's meant to be there to reach out as a point for others to start to learn from to build on and i think it is those sorts of like connections that matter that we can go okay I'll see what they're doing I want to do more of that they're the artists the inspirations through examining an alternative reality but landing it in the daily bits and pieces of life and showing you like okay this is how that looks like and I think that would be a great thing for everybody to have a little look at like without diminishing any of the effort like we we've engaged in those projects Alex and I in different uh spheres and it, it's all really good, but uh, it, that all exists in quite an esoteric area, whereas the challenge that uh, is being described by Tanya is quite a practical, like, this bureaucracy is endless. The admin never stops. It's labyrinthine, and it makes no sense. It is actively prohibitive to even getting the job done, never mind doing a good job. Because I mean, we've been in conversation with you about uh, your work in Ealing and across all the different boroughs, and you've got the demand, but the supply side you are encountering with regard to uh, funding the supply side or even getting the getting enough people interested, it's so difficult because getting onto the framework is really difficult. Like, uh, it's but before we go before we go two feet into that and I want to come back to that because I think I want to hear more about like Tanya's experience of that Drudgery so that we can be talking to people who might be listening to this who might be able to engage and, and help it is in some senses an esoteric exercise but it's also 100% necessary because if we're over here on the one side we have the practical sticky awful problems if we just look immediately around the edges of those and go, how can I make this slightly less sticky? How can I like just release this little gap here? Mm-hmm. Then you'll fix that little bit. And then very quickly around that, more crap will, will follow. And it will just be like, oh, I'll fix that little bit with another bit of policy. And I'll do that with another little bit of policy. Or I'll do that with a bit more money. And it's all sort of just fiddling around the edges of polishing a dog turd, frankly, which is why you have to go full scale over here into the more esoteric reimagining bit. But you don't just leave it there. You apply it in, in, okay, well, what does that look like? What does that look like in our neighborhood? What does that look like in our local businesses? What does that look like? You know, and, and to try and get some of those ideas to come through, to help guide a new way of looking at these things. And the more people who are involved in pulling it down, pull it down from the esoteric into the practical, dirty, everyday bit, it should allow for a more radical transformation because Tanya, frankly, I don't think you really want a little bit more policy or a little bit more funding around well, the same. No one's suggesting that. It, no, yeah, but I, I also I want to I want to plug the 2040 movie if people haven't watched that. Damon Gemmo's brilliant, brilliant 2040 movie, um, and Kate actually features quite a lot in that. There's a whole piece on donut economics, and really the whole the whole premise of of his film is we've had option paralysis for so long. Um, you've probably heard me say this phrase before, but I am 
over hunting unicorns. Like we don't, unicorns do not exist. We don't need to wait for them. Even if they do, we've got rhinoceri, you know, yes, they're gray. They're not so pretty, but they're real world unicorns. And the whole idea behind the 2040 movement is yes, we could wait for the one perfect technology to come along and save us. But wouldn't it be better if we just use some of the things that exist right now? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us who are in sort of the LinkedIn sphere um, have been having a bit of a go at the, the green hydrogen guys this week and, and absolutely deservedly. You know, they're <laughs> spend 10 billion pounds in the next three years to do nothing. They're not going to insulate any homes. They're not going to reduce anybody's bills. And it's not that I don't want that technology to succeed. But the reality of the situation is, is that all of the reports that say, oh, green hydrogen is going to save us. It's great for home heating. Well, they were written by, frankly, Worcester Bosch and others who have a vested interest in it, uh, not by economists or people who are actually looking at the problem, who are all saying green hydrogen has no place in home heating, certainly not in metropolitan cities like London, where we've got 10 million people who remember the Hindenburg. It's just not going to happen here. And and I think we just need to collectively say, like, you know, I'm sorry, Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Could we actually get back to installing something that exists, works, and is ready to go today? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's fusion, isn't it? It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's been mm -hmm. 10 years away for 50 years. At some point, you just have to say, eh, actually, fission's all right. Uh <laughs> that's, that's, that's a culture thing as well. We, we are in a culture where innovation is, is the sexy thing to do. And we spend too much time trying to come up with what we think are new ideas, but actually we have all the solutions that we need out there. And as you've just said, it's just about applying them. It's not going to work every time. It's not going to work perfectly, but they are there and we should mm. be using them rather than trying to find the next big thing just because it makes me feel good. Oh, I've got this new idea. I want to be the Jeff Bezos or the or whoever, Elon Musk of the world. No, 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 no. That's those are And big, not to be afraid of failure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something I mean, I I love innovation. I'm absolutely in love with things like graphene heating and I want them to do everything that we think they will. I don't know if they will because nobody's done it at scale enough to do the measuring, to do the testing. So we've kind of just said, F it, we're just going to install it. You know, it's like seven <laughs> grand a house, big deal. You know, if, if it fails, it fails. It's not like we've done a million pound retrofit. And if it fails, it's the end of the world. It's 7,000 quid. Come on. That's pocket change for these schemes. So. I think we have to do that, but it, I always, I, I guess the thing with 2040, if you look back to, I'm old enough to, you know, have gone to see an inconvenient truth on a date, <laughs> not a great date movie. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, we just left full of despair. That relationship went nowhere and deserved it. <laughs> with 2040, you walk out feeling like, yes, there's 50 things I could do today. Uh, and I wish we had had that. 20 years ago. Maybe yeah. we wouldn't still be sitting here, you know, talking about what are the barriers to retrofit? The barriers are we don't have enough time, money, humans. Um, you know, we know what the barriers are. That's a boring yeah. conversation. And we only don't have enough money. Solutions. We only don't have enough money because the focus very much has been on supply side stuff here and not demand side. If if the focus had been here on just activating all the skills that are available with a bit of tweaking to deliver some demand side energy reduction like stuff that would we would be so much further ahead but you're right in saying 
this 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 search for the silver bullet the the heat pumps the whatever it is that apparently is going to save us all is is a farce isn't it and I think that's the frustration so much in the industry as well and it's the bureaucracy that goes with the risk um, and controversially money is a social construct it doesn't actually exist we could just say we're just going to fix the problem and you know the future banker who has the ability to hit the backspace and wipe out debt can deal with it but wouldn't it make more sense to just invest this invisible money that doesn't actually exist except for inside of computers and just fix the fucking problem so our whole planet doesn't die I mean, that's, you know, maybe a bridge too far, but I, I don't think it's far off. Well, I there's a future reimagined, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. And, you know, sometimes you just have to say, oh, if humanity dies because we couldn't move some zeros around in a computer, maybe that, might we be a little, to. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little too far. But I, I don't think that if we let ourselves get trapped in this conversation about, oh, it's so expensive to fix. Well, what's the alternative? You right. know, massive die-offs. We don't have food, crazy weather. Um, you know, I don't actually want to live in any of the Mad Max futures. Um, mm. I really don't even want to live in the water world future. And as someone who's really allergic to the sun, anything that makes our planet more hot is going to stress me out. <laughs> I need some shade. <laughs> Should we ask about those practical things then that you've been involved in? Like, is now a, a moment to bring up your involvement with the Energy Sprung project? And like, yeah, talking sure. about existing technologies that maybe could work if we didn't get so upset about all the tenure structures and whatnot that else get in the way of Energy Sprung. Yeah, I mean, Energy Sprung is a great place to start because, um, so f just if there's anyone out there who doesn't know what it is, Energy Sprung is Dutch for Energy Leap. Uh, the whole idea is that you're taking a house from whatever it is today to net zero carbon tomorrow. Um, the goal originally was net zero energy. Yeah, I don't know if that's possible. So we're saying net zero carbon. I mean, it is possible, but what certainly for our properties, because we're doing a fair few flats where you've got to split any solar that you put on the roof amongst a, a group of flats or fairly large houses you know this is social housing so they tend to already be overcrowded um it's it's difficult to manufacture all of the on-site generation so we're moving a little bit away from net zero energy calling it net zero carbon because at least uh for the most part here in england the domestic energy grid is decarbonized um, to some extent. So it, it sort of started as a, a what if we did 10 houses? That would be nice. We have a little underspend. Let's do 10 houses. Um, and then SHDF demonstrator came out. We, uh, Ealing collectively with Barking and Dagenham, Sutton and Herringay, uh, decided to, to put together a innovation partnership to procure collectively rather than all of us going out individually. And it's been a great, annoying, wonderful, terrible project from front to back. <laughs> um, it, it's been a faff. Uh, and then there was a pandemic and Brexit and everything tripled. And I got an email this morning saying our prices have probably gone up by another 10% for EWI. And uh, what do you do? We're breaking ground next week. 
fuck it, spend it. Um, so <laughs> that's my official response. <laughs> fuck it. Um, so the, the reason we, we kind of came together because we realized that we could all go out and individually procure, but we didn't, we didn't want Ealing and this company to do something. Haringey and that company to do something. Sutton and a different company. We really wanted the boroughs to be talking together. What's working? How are we engaging with residents? How are we talking to them about this? But also for the solution providers to be coming together to say, you know, is this working? Could we try that? Have you tried this heat pump? What was your water solution there? Um, you know, did you find that this company gave enough solar to make it all work? Um, that's been, again, good bad, terrible, amazing. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that there's a lot of ups and downs. And if you, ex, you know, we, what is this, 2022, nearly 2023. I think we went out to tender in 2019 for this. And in 2019, we were such sweet summer children. We had no idea what was coming. <laughs> it was it was just a different world. Um, we were living in a fantasy fairyland where, the whole project would take 10 days on site and we'd have offsite manufacturing like they do in the Netherlands and it would just be so amazing. And eh, ah, nah, not so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what sweet summer children, but we're almost there. You know, like we, we literally have, it's retrofit. So there's not shovels in the ground, but whatever the shovels in the ground equivalent is for retrofit, that's happening for us next week. Um, Talk a little bit more about the difference between those rosy like ideas of onside for 10 days and offside manufacturing oh. and into a little bit more of the reality because there's obviously mechanisms that weren't um, existent to allow those things to happen. Here. No, and, and we thought that if we could come together and do, you know, a hundred houses between us, that that would be enough to drive the supply chain to innovate. Um, and there's there's a lot of people innovating and I don't, I don't at all want to diminish what has happened in the supply chain, but I've also just spent three days in Rotterdam and come back and I'm just like, shit, we're, we're eight years behind them in some things. Um, I, I saw the world's largest cricket machine. They just put a prefab wall and this machine rolls over it, cuts out a window, spits it out the other side. I mean, it's phenomenal, but you know, it's a lot of R&D and investment and they're on like version 3.0 and they've done 10,000 houses. We've, we've done 67 in the UK and there's 67 great houses. Um, but I, I've just been to Arnhem where they've done entire neighborhoods and they can do them in four days and they've done them in one day just to show it can be done. Wow. You, know, you, you, you go to, there's a great video on YouTube. If you just Google energy sprung, um, excellent video on YouTube where they've time-lapsed one day, the car drives off in the morning, they go to work and they come back to a net zero energy house. Phenomenal. That's incredible. We're not, we're not there yet. Um, but I, I think there, there were a lot of things that happened, you know, Obviously, COVID was the biggie. Um, it delayed every aspect of procurement. Um, it made resident engagement almost impossible. Mm. You know, we, we sent out some letters. We couldn't do in-person events. So we're, you know, we're still, like I say, we're about to begin 
I, I still, I think I've only got 33 of my 44 houses actually signed up. I have to find a whole nother pile of houses. Um, mm. Cause amazingly people will turn down this kind of work for reasons. Um, apparently they, they really <laughs> like their gas cookers. I don't get it, but okay. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, even back then in 2019, we thought it would cost 85,000 per home. We, thought we'd, you know, we'd, we'd do X amount at that number, our phase two, we could get it down to 75. And three years time, we'd have the whole thing down to 55,000. And that's enough, anybody could afford it. And we could offer it to leaseholders and freeholders, and it would just be so great. And then all of these cost of living things have come up, you know, I think we're well over 100,000 per property now. I know of another borough who came in a bit later. They've agreed to something like 125,000. Um, better than a new build. But, better than knocking it down. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a massive commitment. And you and I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're you're doing all right. I couldn't go out and afford to do that on my own. Sorry for the abrupt end. It were a bit impossible any other way. Um, last thing, if you can review like, subscribe, share, all the usual things. It'd be much appreciated. Join ACAN, join the ACB, subscribe Passive House Plus or advertise in it if you've got a business. Uh, and if you need any help with other stuff, uh, give me and Alex a shout. Everything is userexperience.com. Part two, incoming Thursday. Cheers. Bye.